Welcome to the Ankler Podcast. This is Sean McNulty from the Wake Up Newsletter here at the Ankler on the afternoon of Thursday, January 25th here in New York City. I'm joined by Elaine Lowe and the uh, non-Oscar nominated Richard Rushfield in Los Angeles. Richard, what happened? You know, both myself and the movie that I assumed was going to sweep the nominations because it was clearly the best film of the year, uh, Strays. Mm. We're shut out of contention this year, and I, I have suspicions about what to attribute this to. I don't want to point fingers and say anything, but... Of course not. You know, doesn't add up to anything good. I see. Mm, we I protest at City Hall tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, if you folks still want to watch and participate in the Oscars, I'm not going to hold it against you, but they've revealed themselves for what they are right now. Well, you, you get number one fan of Strays, Richard. Congratulations. You won the award, so uh, the, you have Thank that you. award going for you. We'll, we'll give that one to you, so congratulations. Elaine, can you feel the excitement in the air today? Because of sports? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> can I get you a new go-to? We have, we have our, our first listener mail, Elaine. And, <gasps> That's and, uh, right. And it was titled, yes. I, I, the title was, I love you guys. So, uh, I had no idea your eight-year-old had an email address. That's very nice. That's really very generous. St- stuffing the the inbox early there. <laughs> yeah, really jumped Some in. Good jumped, jumped in early, so we appreciate that. But uh, our podcast inbox now kind of has a name, Elaine. Uh, a shout out to listener Frank, who sent us the amazing suggestion to call our listener mail uh, Ank Letters. Pretty good, right? Yeah. Ank Letters. I like it. Yeah. But Richard, do we approve? Yeah, that could be the name of our acapella group also. <laughs> <laughs> I do love a good twofer. Well done. Well done, Frank. We uh, definitely appreciate that. So uh, again, you can send us uh, an email with questions for a future show. We'll be doing an Ank Letters segment or thoughts to share or just say, hey, that address, of course, is uh, podcasts, plural, podcasts at theankler.com. And uh, of course, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, leaving a rating is always appreciated there as well, if that is your listening platform of choice. But Elena, I am going to make a sports reference that I hope you're going to get. Mm-hmm. What do you think? What are the odds here? Try me. Try me, Sean. Try, well, I think, you know, I mean, this week, I think we need one of those like lists of topics on the side of the screen that ESPN does in their talk shows, <laughs> like and like a ticking clock and a buzzer to get through all the topics that like came up this week. I do get that reference. I've you seen whatever right. show that is once. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> SNL has done a parody of it, so that's probably where it comes from. I was like, I think TMZ does something similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. But I feel like, you know, so between the, the aforementioned Oscar nominations, Netflix adding subscribers like we're back in a pandemic, we had more Sundance buys, the head of Netflix films is leaving. Netflix is going live with the WWE and Peacock is still losing $800 million a quarter that Comcast couldn't be happier about. Uh, you know, I think I just put them all in a hat and we just pick one out at a time. Or how, how do we even do this, Elaine, this week? It's a newsy week. I mean, on top of earnings alone, there's a lot that's right. been happening. Yeah. And add on two earnings calls from Netflix and, and, and Comcast. So yeah. And just a, a note coming up uh, in the next segment, we'll have the anglers, uh, Claire Atkinson, who will join us. She had a great piece this week as well, diving into the the world of uh, corporate communications at studios and so forth. That We'll dive into all of her insights as, there as well. And of course, Richard, we have to get your insights to the new choice of the L.A. Chargers. Have a new coach coming in, Jim Harbaugh, coming to Los no, Angeles. Are you, are you excited? Harbaugh is yesterday's man. Oh, is I, that right? Uh, he doesn't seem a good fit here. It's not He I, doesn't get the, the Chargers esprit. In, uh, oh, I see. In, in a right. basic way, I see the body rejecting this this transplant. 
<laughs> you know, normally I would have nothing to add to a conversation oh, whoa, like this, but on. we are a big Jim Harbaugh family out here. Oh my, mm-hmm. we finally have the yes. Venn diagram of uh, know, Elaine and Sean in a conversation. <laughs> All right, I like this. We found it. I, I love his early work, but he, I, he sold Just, out uh, after I see. Uh, well, 97. Like, uh, yeah, but you know, now that he's at the Chargers, we, we finally get to see Harbaugh versus Harbaugh. I, I hear Dustin Hoffman is great at it. <laughs> there we go. Very nice. So wait, wait, I'm sorry, which sport is this we're talking about? Yeah, all right, we'll move on. Well, all right, Bill, anybody have any Oscar hot takes that want to get off their chest here? Uh, Elaine, is there anything else that hasn't been said so far this week, or, or should we move on here? I believe Richard has thoughts on the Greta snub, no? Yeah, I mean, it's it's my favorite game every year. To Whatever my favorite movie is, just to be outraged that... Oscar didn't uh, honor it more. And, uh, you know, Barbie touched a lot of people. It was the highest grossing movie of the year. Uh, Barbie will be just just fine. Barbie will be okay in life. Although it moved a lot of people and it's funny and it's well made. This just isn't an Oscar type movie. And look to the Critics' Choice Awards or the uh, MTV Movie Awards. They uh, are happy to nominate product placement for films. Oh, them's fighting words, Richard. Careful, be careful, inbox. <laughs> I mean, it's still got a ton of nominations and uh, strays. The, the by acclamation, <laughs> the best movie of the year walked away empty-handed, which is a, a dark, dark day for for Oscars. So, if you want to get upset about Barbie's mere best picture nomination, go right ahead. But I think I've got a bigger grudge here. All right, fair enough. Well, we have five, six weeks, Elaine, till the show, I think. So we have some time for this uh, conversation to continue, I believe. Let's have this conversation every week until every March week, 10th. Every week. Let's keep having this. Yeah, exactly. The, nomina- the nominees won't change, but the conversation will. So uh, we'll see how that goes. We'll be talking about strays for the next six weeks. Uh, well, we will not be doing that. That I can guarantee. Yes. This is the <laughs> sorry, Hollywood. strays. Strays are cut off. That's it. No more. But Richard, your column this week revolved around one of the big items on our on our ticker list this week, the change of the guard at, at Netflix Films. So uh, fill us in what's going on here, Richard. Yeah. So Scott Stuber, the man who more or less created the Netflix film division and has presided over it since uh, since its inception, left uh, this week. It, 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 it's actually kind of a perfect ankling because he he left and we're not clear under, under what circumstances. So Scott Struber has ankled. We here on the podcast and everyone else in Hollywood sort of routinely beats up on the lesser Netflix film titles. But uh, I talked to my column this week about how it's pretty much an impossible job, given the all the circumstances, which start with you have to make 70 movies a year, four times as much as, uh, say, Disney does, starting with no IP, attempting to serve all kinds of different demographics around the world. At the core of it is, is the question, why are they making films and what are they doing in this whole sector? And it's, it's very hard to judge. Scott Stuber's tenure when we we don't know what the what Netflix own metrics or, or, or reason for these these films is. So it's an interesting bag. And, and next we'll see who they put in to replace him. Is it a real film person or is it a, a TV person that sort of brings this whole film project closer under the TV umbrella? 
Yeah, we'll see. That's the big question. Scott was there for seven years uh, about, uh, give or take, um, which at Netflix can be can be a long time. And, and Scott certainly had a long history, both as a producer, where he got started at, at Universal, and he's going to launch TBA New Venture. Uh, he's going to stick around, I think, through, through the end of February at Netflix and then uh, in March. So we'll see what that exactly is. It wasn't, it wasn't called a production company. It was called kind of a media company. So there could be something, you know, at large where he's wanting to move on to do something else as well. You know, Elaine doesn't mean he's definitely, you know, who knows what the real decision is here. But although, as Ted Sarandos mentioned on the Netflix call earlier this week, they're not signaling a, an active change to their film strategy. Uh, you know, they sort of alluded to the departure, did not mention Stuber by name, but essentially said we're not really changing anything. Uh, it's business as usual around here. That was the kind of the vibe, right? They kind of always say that they never they never say they're changing. And then just two years later, you notice that they're. They're different. They don't like to ever admit that the direction we're going has been less than perfect. Right. And it's an earnings call. So he's not, maybe not going to make that change on that announcement anyway. But, uh, you know, and Scott, I believe, was probably a Ted hire back in 2017. I mean, Bella certainly wasn't there. So Bella will be making this hire, hiring a film chief ostensibly, uh, unless Ted's stepping in here. So, yeah, a lot of eyes on that job. That's a big role, as Richard said, not just the volume, but just the, you know, the the eyeballs and the attention on it, whether it be their prestige films or the need to do the, the mass market stuff. It's a wide ranging task that you have to do there. There's no specialty division at Netflix. You're you're doing all of it. You know, the Oscar movies and the and the crowd pleasers and the Lindsay Lohan rom coms for Christmas and everything else. That all fun falls under this, you know, under their purview there, Elaine. People who check a lot of those boxes is probably not a long list, really. Um, so we'll see what she's gonna be thinking about. But we should probably move on to the the other change, uh, definitely in strategy this week, Elaine. <laughs> was that uh, Carla? I, I mean, I, I was surprised to a degree. Uh, what was you know you're taking the uh, WWE here, other than pure excitement for Raw moving uh, your Monday nights are now on on Netflix. You Elaine. know, I'm an enormous wrestling fan. Uh, really, I mean, it should be obvious. Looking we, we, at we, me. we edit it out every week, but she always mentions it. I yeah, know. That's right. I spend at least twenty minutes just rhapsodizing about WWE. No, it's a it's it's a big deal. It's a five billion dollar deal for ten years for WWE Raw. Probably their largest move in the live space. I'd By say far. since I mean, they started dabbling close, in it. Yeah. I mean, they still insist that they're not interested in live sports sports because this is, quote unquote, sports entertainment. Well, uh, no, and, and Ted on the call emphasized sports entertainment quite a few times. So, yep, sports yes. entertainment uh, for, yes, the, for the cheap Yes, that seems very seats. deliberate as if to say, no, we're still not interested in the NFL or the NBA, but this is sports entertainment. In, right. And in, in some ways, this kind of fits, right? Like when you look at the sort of stunt sports events that they've done with their golf racing cup mm. with the tennis exhibition match they have coming up. I mean, like, these are the live things they've really dabbled in. And outside of that, it was a Love is Blind reunion and a stand-up comedy special. So this is an enormous move into live, but it it kind of makes sense, right? If you're not interested, as you say, in live sports and you are trying to sort of feel out what a live audience is, this is a very dedicated, loyal audience. Yes. This is a huge deal. You know, I, I can't imagine that this isn't something that's going to retain existing subscribers, if not bring in new subs. 100%. And what a, yeah. what a quarter for subs they had, right? 13 well, that, million. This is their yeah, second best ever since, what, like the first quarter of the pandemic? The pandemic. That was the only other quarter in their history that beat it. So uh, not even by that much, quite frankly. So, but yeah, I mean, the WWE, a uh, passionate global fan base. The aspect, you know, we said for Raw, which currently airs on, on USA Network on Monday nights, 
and as of January of 2025, it'll move move to Netflix in, in you know UK, Canada, US, Latin America, and then it'll it'll fade out from there. But not just in the US there, but yeah, brings in a, you know again a people. I mean, I don't know who doesn't. <laughs> well, apparently people still don't have Netflix out there, but you know it's a. A, a, you know, a as base? I was saying it, I was like, wait, what new subscribers could yeah. this possibly draw <laughs> yeah, in? I wonder what the, this? like, what's the Venn diagram, right? Yeah. Of like WWE Raw fans and Netflix subscribers. Because I got to imagine it's already pretty. It's whoop, pretty, you know? I would imagine anything in Netflix subscribers is probably pretty big <laughs> at this point. So we'll see. But it's certainly, you know, it's a weekly event. It makes it a week, appointment viewing uh, on a one day of the week, um, which is something which is good for is, the ad business. Is good And for the, that's exactly right. I think that the ad business is probably equal, if not even more important as to what the factor is here, Elaine. And, you know, and this wasn't talked about much. I wrote about it, you know, when I wrote up on, on Monday or Tuesday, whatever it was, you know, but the international factors. Now the, the global home of WWE streaming is Netflix. Um, you know, the U.S. has this peacock is still that deal goes to 2026, but the WWE is a global fan base. They're, I think, the most followed sport on the social media. Like it's nuts really? how much, wow. yeah, at the numbers are pretty, I've heard the exact, you know, I'm sure, WWE comms will be happy to send me that information, but you know, it's not just a US phenomenon. And when you put this as, you know, it's one, it's now one stop shopping globally or internationally for WWE streaming. That's a big, big thing from a branding and just as, again, we've talked a little bit about this, but you know, where do I find my team? Where do I find my sport to be a one stop shop for a brand like that in the streaming space, you know, on a global, for on a global stage for a 10 year deal? Exactly. That's, that's a, powerful, you know, uh, what we'll see, but it's definitely um, uh, a, a very interesting investment. We'll see, uh, you know, what, what shakes out from there, but going to be a big new era come 2025. And uh, we'll see what other live stuff they may get into. The door is now open a lane too, in this sense. So, you know, and, th and this is just, there've been some debate online, including with our own ESG about mm -hmm. the assertion I made myself that Netflix has won the streaming wars, um, which, which doesn't mean they've it's it's over and everybody can go home, but right. just who who else is making giant moves like this right now? I mean, yeah. Do you see do you see Disney Plus making making giant moves like this? And and um, it's it's just and it becomes at some point like risk, like when you you have mm -hmm. you have two third you have maybe sixty percent of the board, so technically the the other player hasn't lost, but you start accruing so much so many new armies every uh every time that there's really no formula by which anybody takes you down anytime soon until no, they're too big to fail right i mean that's essentially what what we're saying here it's that they're too big to fail anybody who engaged in schadenfreude about a year and a half ago when they were undergoing all of those layoffs and restructuring yeah. i mean they've more than bounced back from it yeah, yeah, and it's been impressive to watch those numbers. You, you mentioned we'll get to their now segue to the earnings report certainly, but they have you know two hundred and sixty million paying subscribers globally. And Richard, to your point, no one else has that. And yeah. if you're going to launch one, and they, they can flip a switch, and put the WWE in two hundred and you know, I mean, the US is a little here and there, but that many households globally and subscribers. I mean, I know Amazon is global and Apple is global, but not in the way that Netflix is global by any means. Richard, nobody else is playing in. That many countries and that many genres, that many types of programming. I mean, no, no one comes close. Like, I don't, I don't even know what's a distant second in that. In this, it's, it's just in terms of what they're doing. They just have so much out there, uh, spread so wide that it's, 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 uh, it's just a different game that they that they're in than everybody else. 
Yeah. And now that the licensing door has opened back up to them, right. they don't necessarily have to rely as much on producing originals in theory. Now and that, we'll see, Elaine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, the other small news, Sex in the City is coming to, you know, coming to Netflix. Small uh, news, Sean. Okay. All right. This wouldn't be a <laughs> I got my rant out in my newsletter, so I'll save it here. But anyway, yeah. I'm sorry. This show's been licensed to three different networks in 20 years and has been everywhere. And it's like, oh, not, oh, but now it's a big deal. Anyway, Warner Brothers still owns the show, everybody. Um, but anyway. Uh, so, yes, exactly right. We're, yeah, we'll see what the, the tide has changed on that uh, 100%. Um, in terms of the licensing for all studios at this point, I can't think of one studio that's even a holdout anymore. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, Disney made their deal. Warner Brothers is clearly involved. Sony has their deal. Paramount, I see films on there all the time. You know, on there all the time. So there's nobody who's not in business with Netflix at this point. So, so with this, we can formally say the last three or four years were just terrible mistake across the board. I think that's what everybody's been saying lately. I will put out five or six years, but uh, yeah, exactly. Question is what what lies ahead. But and finally, anything on the on the other earnings call? Anything else stand out for you, Elaine? Uh, we really didn't talk too much about this, but anything else else a note catch your eye besides the big subscriber number? Oh gosh, I mean, I think that and WWE those were, and the Stuber exit those were the three major headlines that came out of Netflix this week. And uh, for a company that generally has uh, quite a dull earnings call, uh, it's like everything's very like business as usual. I mean, these are these are pretty big announcements to make. Yeah, it's a lot of a big deal, big deal going on there this week. And, you know, I mean, we'll say, you know, the ad tier still has work to do. And even they're saying, you know, we need another year uh, to really kind of get this to be anywhere near something we're going to be talking to you about. So, yeah, the usual question marks, ad business, gaming. Give us a little more. They talked talked a lot about gaming. I'm not sure what they actually said, but there was definitely a lot of talk around gaming, and I still have no idea what that business model is. So if you ask me that, and you know, I think they were asked that question and answered the same way. So they're very, (laughs) very enthusiastic about it, which reminds me of Peacock, which we'll get to momentarily. But let's uh, first take a break, and we're going to bring in uh, Claire Atkinson to also uh, join the conversation and, and dive into her piece about what's afoot in the high profile world of studio communications executives. We'll be uh, right back in a moment. All right, we're now joined by uh, Claire Atkinson, contributor here at The Ankler, who had a great uh, piece this week on the world of corporate uh, communications executives, which we're going to get to in a minute. But Claire's, uh, I think, maybe a bit of a a bear on Netflix, which was a little surprising to hear. So Claire, nice to see you, first of all. Thanks for joining. Thank you for having me. Are you giving me a a Gene Siskel thumbs down on uh, some Netflix decisions here? What's going on? What's up? Yeah, I mean, I love Netflix for its ease of use. I go there because it's so easy and fast to find something that I want to watch. I'm actually watching The Billion Dollar Decorators right now, which is an NBC show. I can always find something easily. I'm not inundated and swamped with a load of crap that I don't want to watch. And I do feel that while I recognize WWE has a huge audience, it's not something I want in my feed. I hope Netflix recognizes, the algo recognizes that I don't want to watch that stuff. I find it very lowbrow. I know it has a huge audience. When I used to write about wrestling for the New York Post, the stories would be off the charts. But, you know, it's a great ad get, yes. But I go to Netflix for something upmarket, for something that has a brand that says quality, that says a lot of what HBO was under Richard Plepler. Um, I go there for highly cu- curated, beautiful television. 
And to me, the arrival of WWE is in some ways about Netflix being something that I think it's never been. Maybe they'll do it in a different way. I don't know. And to your point, like if it's a if it's if it's a bonus for Netflix, who's it a negative for? Uh, somebody is losing those rights, as you pointed out. I think Peacock had them or has them. Uh, U.S. NBCU, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, uh, is it a win? I think it, to me, it feels like a desperate grab for something to head off uh, Amazon's incredible superstore of inventory for Madison Avenue. And, you know, if that's the way we're all going, that suddenly SVOD is going to be, you're going to be forced to watch ad-supported television street on streaming because the prices are so high. I don't know. This is not what I want as a viewer from Netflix at all. Will there be people who do want this? Yes, of course. But it's an avenue that Netflix is turning down that I'm not happy about. All right. Well, then one thing we did we forgot to mention uh, is the there's a price raise coming in 2024 as well. So get ready to pay more for that, Claire, uh, in 2024 as well. Again, unless unless you want to go to the ad tier, which will probably stay, I would imagine, you know, at that price point to catch all those people to come down. So we don't know what that price increase will be or when it will be, but there will be a new price for Netflix in 2024, Claire. Yes. Claire, your view on Netflix is so like, um, I don't know, it's like classic Netflix, right? Like I think the idea that Netflix <laughs> is this curated place as opposed to what I feel like more people wind up calling it, which is, you know, Walmart and and not even right. in a derisive fashion, but just like it has something for everybody. But I just think it's funny when you mention this is the place for curated shows. And it's like, oh, this is also the streamer that aired like Cooking with Paris, that like Paris Hilton cooking show. Right. <laughs> or uh, or Emily in Paris, which is fun. I, saying, but, wait, um, <laughs> I think of Emily in Paris has been a quality show. All right, well, it's still going. It's still a hit. I love it. But yeah, one other player, I don't know what quality you want to put on it. Comcast did the earnings call today here on Thursday, Elaine. So anything strike you about that? Uh, They're selling a lot of ads, I will say. This this, uh, stuck out to me, but I want to get to your thoughts first. Oh, I mean, I think the the headliner on Comcast is, I mean, what you look, Universal had great theatrical revenue. It was up, what, like nearly 60% year over year on the quarter, uh, Comcast obviously is still losing broadband subs, but fewer than expected, which in this day and age is always kind of like uh, the sunny side of things, right? Yeah. And then Peacock gaining, what, 3 million subs? So they have th- something like 31 million 31, subs right now yeah. and narrowing their quarterly loss to further away from a billion dollar loss. Only 825 million, Delayed. What is it? What's 825 million between friends? Exactly. But that's but fine. but less than like what, that's 900 down and 950 million exactly. last year. So let's let's again <laughs> focus on the positive Elaine. Yeah, exactly. Uh, to talk about ads there, Claire. And that what really stood out to me and I was diving, you know, diving into the minutiae as I do here uh with my earnings reports when they come out. But Advertising is huge there. I mean, it's 43% of their revenue is from ads. 43 they they sold about three times as many ads as Max did in and well the, in, sorry, their Q3, but so who knows what the Q4 numbers will be. But you know, mm. between Max and Dis- and Discovery Plus combined, we're only one third of the advertising that Peacock gets, even though you know, Max has many, many more, you know, subscribers. Who knows, who knows many are they on the ad tier? But the advertising business at Peacock, and it's growing. It's, you know, it's grew 30%, 28% year on year at Peacock. So, yeah. I mean, in, in, in a year that was very challenged, as we've all talked, you know, for advertising. So, you I know. mean, I, I think that the question would be, are advertisers asking for it? Or is NBC packaging streaming with the linear well, business? 
But I would also say that's what they do. Like I think, they and do. again, like what Netflix is finding out is the advertising business is very hard in the lane. I, I noted it in the wake up, but the language that Netflix is talking about advertising is way, way different than it was a year ago. A mm. year ago, it was, we're transforming the ad experience for our viewers and blah, blah, blah. It's all about the experience. And now I think Greg Peters was literally like, we are here to serve what advertisers <laughs> want. Like they learned the client in the advertising business is Madison Avenue. The client Not in everything can bend to their is will. the client. Yeah, you, exactly. Your client is much different in that aspect, which they had a hard time learning the first year and they made changes and it's going to take a while to catch up. Claire, to your point, you know, NBCU has been doing this. This is their DNA is selling ads. They That's it. You know, So they can adapt it and they, they turn the juice on that. Obviously they have... NFL, they have big sports, which also helps those numbers out. They have good inventory to sell there on, on Peacock. So, but it's, yeah. uh, you know, for all the talk of AVOD being the future, Claire, they're already kind of killing it in that regard. Yeah. I do think that the UI is a little problematic in that it's very hard to find things. I'm like you, Sean. I watch a lot of Peacock. I love it in many ways, but the discoverability is a, a little problematic. And I wonder, you know, with the Olympics on the horizon, whether they've kind of figured yeah. out that multi-platform strategy so that yeah. people can understand, you know, uh, do I go to NBC? Do I go to cable? Do I go to streaming? What's going to be where? And how they push people between those three uh, seems to be that strategy that they're trying to figure out still, the, that it's one company, one sales unit. Obviously, the viewership is moving to streaming. That's what the, that's where the ad dollars are going. That's where the pushing mm -hmm. viewers but to, you know, to quote Craig Moffat of the equity research company, Moffat Nathanson, they're essentially tearing down the house and using the lumber to build a shed in the yard. You know, streaming viewership is not there yet. Uh, it's growing, but and it's leaving linear. But is it big enough to capture enough uh, of the ad revenue? You know, obviously, it's, it's all moving there. But, um, you know, that's a question for them, how, how fast that moves. And when you start losing the advertisers from the linear traditional side, you've got to make sure it's expressing itself on the other side, too. And we're still in that trough between the, the disintermediation of traditional television and the shift to, to streaming. And I think and the come. Olympics is going to be an enormous test of that this summer. Totally. Uh, I don't know if you all tried to use Peacock the last time around. Uh, I think the COVID delayed Summer Olympics, but that was a tough time. I tried my very best and yeah. felt very dumb trying to find what I thought would be very simple things on <laughs> the the app. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They got a lot of flack for that last time and learned a lot of less. I think in the past two Olympics at this point. But yeah, you're right, Elena. It's a big, uh, both of you, but a big test for them coming this summer. They keep talking about it and they're promoting it already. So uh, we shall see. But the NFL wildcard game did go off without a hitch. The, the streaming war. So, I mean, they, they've been doing these you know, not that this is why they did it, but it certainly is a, another check a checkbox to make sure they can handle this kind of traffic uh, for this influx. So hopefully they've learned a lot of lessons and, and have some more backing there. So anyway, for the curious, I broke down all the things to know about Peacock, including when and how this thing would ever even get profitable because they refuse to say so. They keep being asked every quarter, what is your what is your plan for this thing? When, what are the costs going to be? And, and Comcast, literally the only response they get back is, you know, uh, the losses will be less next year. We don't tell you how much and we won't tell you whenever it's going to be profitable. But I did kind of look at the math in that in today's wake up. So, but Claire, let's uh, pivot over to your piece. So I think, you know, fans of succession are certainly at least familiar with that corporate communications executive uh, role in the C-suites of Hollywood Studios. Fisher Stevens, of course, kind of being the, the face of that, in, you know, in that show. But you really dove into the trenches this week for your new piece uh, with a fantastic title of Pain Sponge. 
kudos. That was a that was a good one. Very nice. I'm not sure who came up with that one, but you know, point, points to that. Looking at what it's like in the world of corporate communications as Hollywood comes out of the streaming bubble, pain, whatever you have it, hangover. What's afoot here in that world in uh, 2024? Yeah. I mean, the story got an incredible response. Uh, I've heard from just about every PR person in the known universe. <laughs> <laughs> very popular person. So yeah, I can bet. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I guess the beauty of the story and the beauty of the idea, which was Janice's, is to write about something that everybody knows about, but nobody talks about and and kind of just explain what's going on. Well, actually, so let's, why don't you, what is the role of corporate communication? For people who don't know, because yeah. everybody's, everybody's a reporter here and what has no idea do? how this, so let's, what are, they, what are, the, what are, the, what are we talking but, about Well, here? when you call a PR person as a reporter, you're putting the story to them and asking them for comment. And I guess in most reporters' minds, you think that that's all they do is just comment to reporters all day. But, you know, what I found out in the story is that, they can be responsible for their bosses every last whim, whether it is get my family uh, front row tickets to Taylor Swift tomorrow night, or you know they're expected to perform the impossible for the CEOs they work for, who are the most you know demanding of people. Uh, they're very much in control of their world, and the press is one thing that you can't control, obviously. Um, and these PR people are kind of sandwiched between two masters. They've got to do good by the media. They got to make sure their boss looks polished. They got to make sure the corporation looks good. And sometimes all those things are uh, not in uh, in line. And so they have to come up with creative strategies to make everything look good. And that's a really tough job. Um, the illustration for the story was a, a guy on the floor with a coffee spilled everywhere and a post-it note on his face saying, I'm on it. And I think that was like a great way to illustrate the jobs of these people. Um, they're under siege. They're trying to battle social media. There's a lot more reporters covering Hollywood than there's ever been. And, you know, the people behind the, the curtain here, the CEOs and the studio chiefs, they're super interesting to everybody who is out there. People want to know about them. They want to know what they're doing and who they are. Are they screamers? Are they shouters? How, are the, how do they treat their staff? And so the story was really kind of how do you be successful at these kind of jobs? What are the pitfalls? D do the bosses ask you to lie to the media? And, you know, one, one of the things I found is that you can be a good communicator and you can do well for the boss. But if you don't have the trust or the tenure uh, or the chemistry, then you can be out. And, you know, I think, you know, we're seeing that that is happening. People are getting laid off as cuts happen in these companies. Uh, if everything isn't honky-dory, these PR chiefs are out on their ear. It's not an easy job. Sometimes the bosses don't listen to you. And so, you know, I think a lot of people felt seen by the piece and they are pain sponges. They're there to kind of like listen to everybody's complaints and try and re-express uh, in an optimistic way very difficult, real problems that aren't PR problems, they're business problems. Yeah, we have. Two examples, I mean, very, very current right now. Uh, one at Warner Brothers, which is currently you know, need, needs uh, a new head of communications, uh, which we talked about in the piece a little bit there. And Paramount, which is you know in the headlines, and that is someone's job. To all this, all these rumors keep going out, and that is, I mean, that's that's the heart of that job right there is, is that whole narrative, right? Right, Claire. We're kind of seeing two of right. these examples in different uh, iterations of them, but that's that job is right at the heart of those two things, right? Yeah, I mean, and, and WBD. absolutely. I mean, they, they are two big high profile jobs out there right now. And uh, 
I imagine that they hear a lot of kill that story from their bosses whenever people Mm. are out there with something negative. And that's an impossible thing to do unless, as I found, you can barter something. And so, you know, what sometimes happens, and this is not good news for talent, is (laughs) that the PR person at the company uh, might trade a negative story about their CEO for a little tidbit of gossip about uh, maybe some talent's divorce. Uh, So the horse trading goes on and the bartering goes on. And us journalists who work in uh, writing about the entertainment business know oh so well, like the tactics for for trying to uh, horse trade what you've got. So Claire, if I can suggest, I, I think a lot of the problem here comes from the most successful CEOs of Hollywood, from Walt Disney to Louis B. Mayer and go back in time, sort of understood where they were and what they were doing. And they were they were showmen themselves in a business of show. And they had these big giant personalities and sort of embodied their companies in big ways. And the CEOs now don't want to do that. They want to be like the CEO of a pharmaceutical company that you never hear of and you never know and can maybe come out on the red carpet a little bit. But entertainment's always going to be in the news and you're always going to be sucked into the middle of all kinds of star meltdowns, culture war issues. I mean, the uh, CEO of Google is a head of a company that's bigger than every studio combined many years over. No one's no one's wondering about his house and if he's throwing too big a party in Cannes or anything like that. That would, you know, he could walk, he could walk into any restaurant in America and probably not get a table because nobody will know who the hell this this guy is uh, outside of Silicon Valley. But that is or used to be part of the job. If you took over, if you were a studio head, you were you were a kind of public personality of a of a company that works very much in the public. And these guys just don't want to be that anymore. So it falls on onto their comms heads to uh, to sort of shield them with the consequences of the job that they're in. Yeah. And I think, you know, these big media companies are dealing with serious business problems and serious issues that we have been writing about. And it's very difficult to to kind of hide from that. And and I do think you're right, Richard, what's happening is the tech guys get almost no coverage and there's almost no negative press. And I think it's because it's hard to know who's in control of what. When you look at Amazon, it's a very bifurcated company it's very hard to put your finger on who's running things and who is responsible for things. And, you know, there's a lot of matrix reporting. And I think, you know, in some ways, yeah, it makes it more oblique. Compare the amount of press that Larry Ellison, who owns, was it like one of the top five biggest companies of, in America? Like the this giant company gets compared to his son, who runs a production company that makes a few movies a year. Yeah. I mean, Tim Cook, too. Like, when was the last time you read anything negative about Tim Cook? Yeah. Or anybody you know. who runs Apple. But you do mention the variety of personalities, Richard. I think that's important to emphasize here. Uh, and Claire, an interesting part of your story was, I mean, it sounded a lot like dating, quite frankly, more than you could be the best comms executive in the world, so skilled and deft. But if you're not seeing eye to eye, it doesn't matter. And you look at only from looking at from Bob Backish to David Zaslav, you could not, those two guys, yes, they're in the same roles at two different and the same industry. 
they have vastly different personal you know desires to be out there versus not. You talk a little bit about, of course, the infamous you know con party this year with David Z- David Zaslav, but even the job isn't one size fits all just because it is for a movie studio or in the entertainment business. Claire, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I you know I think one of the changes is that there's a lot of people weighing in on PR these days. It's not mm. just the job of the chief right. comms officer to craft the strategy. What I heard from you know a lot of these crisis communicators is everybody wants a seat at the table when it comes to dealing with the press and everybody thinks they know better. And the CEO okay. is going to take counsel from like three and four and five people. And then nobody can succeed because everybody's being second guessed. Uh, and I, I think that is a problem. I think good CEOs let one person kind of run the table. You know, there have been so many crises for over the past few years. Think about Me Too. Think about social justice movements. Think about the competition from streaming. It is a really, really difficult job to be that person in the middle of all of this and try and figure out like the right things to do and say. When you have a strike, should you be having a party? If you're going to have a party, are there are ways to do it that minimize the press. I don't know. Maybe have a party without any press there. You know, these are all complicated questions with no right answers. But I do think that when you have a CEO who has a lot of trust in their PR person, and I give the example of Zenia Muka and, and Bob Iger. I think Zenia was responsible for a lot of the mystique around Bob Iger's tenure as you know one of the best CEOs on the Fortune 500 list. I mean, obviously, she's gone now. He's with a different PR team facing a host of very different problems, and the press doesn't look so good now. I will say, Claire, your piece gave me a lot more sympathy for the good folks in comms than I've perhaps had before coming from the reporter side of things and thinking, well, how easy to just ignore all of my emails or say no comment <laughs> to everything. And then realizing just how much paddling actually happens beneath yeah. the surface. I'm busy getting Taylor Swift tickets and <laughs> organizing car service. <laughs> I will say I did put an item in the, in the wake up this morning of uh, Jeff Bezos's 60th birthday party all over page six the other day. So you know, all the coverage of Paris Hilton and the people and all the, you know, the details and just like, yeah, that was somebody's job. And that was not Jeff Bezos doing that. It's, you know, that was somebody behind the scenes there casting about what they want that coverage to be of that event. So, you know, anyway, a great read. Uh, Claire, you can go check that out over at theankler.com. Um, and all right, it's the end of January. Elaine, it's your favorite kind of podcast segment. We're going to see uh, just how our, uh, how smart we are and how our expert predictions for the holiday box office turned out. So I can see the excitement on your face. You already, know Claire. how I love public pop quizzes, Sean. <laughs> no, it's a little bit of pop quiz, more of a time for <laughs> time to to uh, come be, 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 go before the judge here, Elaine, and see see how uh, see how smart we were. But anyway, we'll be back in a moment. All right, going to shift here to the box office to round out the podcast this week. Uh, Richard, good news. The box office is saved. Uh, Tenet is coming back to theaters uh, uh-huh. next month for a week in, in IMAX. <laughs> the let's, let's give it one more try. Let's do it one more, one more time. Uh, and just a pretty, 
I'd say pretty blatant play to capitalize on the Oppenheimer IMAX success with the with the fan base of Christopher Nolan. Warner Brothers is putting Tenet back in the IMAX for a week on uh, February 23rd. Elaine, will the kids be able to go or are you going to pull them out of school for this or uh, are you going to be okay with this? I, I don't think Tenet is appropriate for the under 10 crowd, perhaps, but am, am I going to understand the end yes, of Tenet any better if I see it in IMAX? Well, it's in 70 millimeters, so maybe it's, maybe you see more of uh, what's going on in, in the big picture there. Maybe <laughs> maybe that helps out to seeing it on a bigger screen. I mean, I think that's great. It's it's uh, yeah, there, there should sure. be more bring stuff back out, revival runs and everything. That was the entire Disney strategy there for 40 years or something. So we uh, all we, mm-hmm. three of us made predictions at the top of November before the holiday film season started. Elaine, do you remember the prize? Uh, our dignity. <laughs> no, it's actually a meeting with uh, Shari Redstone to tell her which one to do with Paramount. So oh, it's, uh, right. yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, that's yeah. pretty nice. Yeah, Shari, <laughs> Shari, thank you for sponsoring the, uh, the the contest this year. Uh, all right, do we want to start off with what the top three films were or what we thought they would be? Which one do you want to go with first, guys? I believe that my guess was the same, so... Oh, that's just true. <laughs> uh, you know what, Claire's here. Claire, which would you like to hear? Our predictions or the actuals first? Um, Predictions. Predictions. All right. Shall we recap? Here we go. Elaine, do you remember yours? I said Wonka. What else did I say? You're gonna actually going to have to remind me, Sean. You had Wonka, you had Poor Things, and you had uh, Beyonce's Renaissance, which you, okay. you said All was, right. quote, All the right. easy pick, just for the record. You, that was that was the exact quote. I feel like I'm about to get my comeuppance, but all right. The easy pick was Renaissance <laughs> so for the holiday season. Richard, do you recall yours? Uh, not at all. No. Not at all. But okay. Say, so, strays. I, <laughs> yes, it should be. But, they uh, they aligned with whatever the top three were. Is what Richard is a uh, Wonka, maybe migration, and yep. I, then you had the the color purple was your third one. So that was your third. Yes, yeah, so, and so I, I, uh, I got it right on. Well, you got something, so we'll find out in a second. And then uh, I also had Wonka and migration, really creative here. And my other one was it was Wish. So you know, listen. They can't all be winners, Claire. What are we? What are we going to do here? All right. What were the actual top three? Do you want to guess or not? That's a pop quiz for you, Elaine. Anything? I think it was Wonka, right? Didn't I win this whole thing? Wonka's number one. Yes, that's easy. All right, number two. Was it Migration? Nope. No, it wasn't. Is it the color purple? Uh, definitely not. Nope. Sorry. It's something we all didn't pick, but we probably should have thought about Hunger Games. Oh. The new, the new Hunger Games film. Is this the wow, second, what do uh, I know about anything? Well, <laughs> you're our millennial court... You're our millennial correspondent here. You know, come on, this is Elaine. Come on, it's terrible. It's I underestimated show. it. I underestimated really how many millennials your... and Gen Zs would turn out for that. Yeah, exactly. And, and Claire, I'm sure, is a big fan, so uh, could have been part of the. Fun you would. I mean, it's interesting because you, you never would have thought of a big major tentpole like Hunger Games being a a word of mouth uh, film that just kept running like that. <laughs> it's the new indie. Yeah. I mean, it, it did open big, but it also had a lot of legs on it. And number three, any final guesses on this one? Number three, which is a bit of a moving target, migration. Migration is partially correct. Oh. Uh, so right now, as of today, technically it's Aquaman 2, which we, none of us had, which is probably not too surprising. But migration will probably surpass it in a few weeks. So I think we probably give it to migration and in, in, in a totality point of view. There's a, a $20 million gap, which migration should cover uh, in the next few weeks. So migration would be number three. So so basically the big movies did big is what we're saying, is what uh, we saw. Well, Hunger Games is the, you know, was the, you know, certainly the one I mean, that it's, wasn't it's on, we weren't talking about. So. Technically a temple though, you know. It is. No, it, it definitely falls in that category. But anyway, a fun fun game as always. We'll be back in the summertime to uh, redeem ourselves 
or embarrass ourselves, whichever way you want to go on that one. But let's call it a wrap for this week. I'll, of course, have the full box office breakdown in the wake up on Monday morning, which will probably won't take long since we have no new movies at the box office this weekend. And yes, I know Lionsgate has a Miller's Girl in theaters, but I challenge either of the three of you to tell me one thing about it. It's about beer. <laughs> no, I would go no. see that movie. Uh, no, it actually <laughs> it stars Jenna Ortega, believe it or not. But probably not going to be uh, in the top five this weekend over at the box office. Elaine, you'll, of course, have your second edition of your series business column on Monday. Any uh, previews for the folks out there? Looking into a little bit of the unscripted market, we covered the scripted TV numbers and coming off of peak TV, 600 plus shows last year. It got me curious about the unscripted market and what we'll see, because that boom time that happened around the last writer strike didn't happen for unscripted and nonfiction producers last year. And certainly with the quote unquote sports entertainment things happening around Netflix, it uh, made me a little curious to see what the runway is. All right. And you can check out uh, Claire's piece, as I mentioned, of course, uh, all that and more as part of your Ankler subscription at theankler.com to get the full suite of newsletters and podcasts. You can email us again anytime at podcasts at theankler.com and follow on the socials at theankler. Richard, Elaine, and Claire, thank you as always for joining and a big thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>